You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen, amen. Let's continue worshiping as we pray now. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to come into this place and to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, I pray this will be true in every single heart here. Help us this morning, God, get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We love you, Lord, but only because you first loved us today. Father, I pray as we worship through the word of God today. I pray that you would ignite our hearts to the things you want to teach us. God, for uh, those that are coming in today that are here because uh, for any other reason than to hear from you, God, I pray that you'd attune their ears now to the things of you. We ask this, uh, this morning, Father, you'd set us free from any bondage that the enemy has upon our hearts and our church. Open eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand and feet to follow Jesus for the glory of your son. God, we pray these things. Amen. 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 I invite you to take a seat this morning and uh, join me in uh, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to continue on with our um, Mark series and uh, not the exact passage we're planning on for today for um, child dedication, yet we trust that God is God is sovereign and providence in his providence, which means that he is in control. He knows exactly what we need to hear uh, today from his word. Mark chapter 5 is where we are. And so if you're visiting with us, you don't have a Bible, please stick your hand up. We'd love to get you a copy of God's word um, that you can uh, follow along. And this can be our gift to you. Take it home, please. Uh, we'd love to honor you with a gift of God's word. It's where you find God. You seek God with all your heart. You will find him. This is the place to look. It's in the word of God. And uh, excited to get into the next part of Mark chapter 5. We've been studying as a church uh, how we can uh, know Jesus and vintage Jesus, the true Jesus, the real Jesus. And uh, we get into Advent season. And even though we're going to start the Advent kind of Christmas uh, series next week, we're going to continue on with Mark chapter 5 today. And let me kind of tie Christmas into this sermon anyways. Now, let me ask you this as we get into the sermon today, into this text. Uh, why did Jesus come? Thinking of Christmas, look forward to Jesus' birth and the answer of his birth. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? If I were to pull the audience today, I think I've got three common answers, and maybe you can put up your hand if this is you today. Many of you would say, Jesus came to reveal God to us. Is that your answer? Would that be your answer? Jesus came to reveal God. A couple of you, a couple of you. How about this one? Jesus came to seek and to save sinners. A lot of you? Yeah, yeah. How about this one? Jesus came to show us the way to live. All true, all right. But how about this one from 1 John 3, 8? The reason the Son of God appeared, Christmas appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. Anyone? Nice, you guys are much more into it than the first service. They had no clue on that last one. Only a couple people got that. But this is why Jesus came, to to destroy the works of the devil. Ultimately, Jesus came to eradicate evil and Satan from this earth and return us to the original creation that God has designed us to live is in the Garden of Eden. And so he came to do this one life at a time until he finally does this when Jesus comes back in his second coming. Truth we have to know today is that there is a spiritual battle going on around, spiritual war going around us in the cosmos, but even for our individual lives. And Jesus came to win the battle for not just the whole world, but for each individual soul in here today. 
This whole season, this whole text in Mark chapter 4 and 5, the sermon about a month ago now that we looked at, Jesus calms a storm, is showing us, and then this one, Jesus healing a man with a demon, and Jesus healing a woman and Jairus' daughter next week, is all showing us this one word, the authority, the authority of Jesus Christ. Remember last sermon that Brett did in this series, we saw how Jesus calmed the storm, and we saw, wow, what a, what a, who could calm a storm? Like, let's be honest, like you and I, we ask our dog to sit, and it's kind of hit or miss, right? You tell your kids to be quiet, and there's a 50-50 chance they're going to actually fall through. You actually try and tell yourself, calm down, calm down, calm down. You can't even calm yourself down. Jesus said to the storm, he's like, cut it out. Silent. Left us in awe of Christ. That same authority now over the physical elements is going to be transferred to the spiritual realm today. And it's not a sermon here often in church, and I'm not sure why this whole idea of Satan and the enemy and demons and how Jesus triumphs over them. But let me just be honest with you today. It's a sermon we need to hear. We need to be aware of what is going on in the unseen world around us. And so this is where this text comes in. It's showing us how Christ has authority over everything, including this unseen spiritual war that is happening even right now in this very present place for this very present time. Let me read the text and we'll unpack it together. Jesus heals a man with a demon, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. They came to the other side of the sea. This is Jesus and disciples after they had now crossed the sea. And now they come back to the county of Gerasenes, which is by Capernaum. So basically where they started. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. Strong man. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones, and yet when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, this is now the man filled with the demons, he said this, what have you done with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. This is the demon saying to Jesus, don't torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what was all that was happened and all that, has, all that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had their legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were terrified or afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And yet as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with, them, be with him. And he did not permit him, but said this, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in, in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of God. I know it's a text, you're like, wow, what are you going to do this text? Well, here's what we do in our church. We go through the, the text verse by verse so we don't miss all of it, any of it. We want to get all of it. 
This is the word of the Lord for us today. And I just want to tell you today, it's an odd maybe sermon if you're visiting with us for child dedication. You're like, well, this is kind of weird. It's kind of strange. It's not strange. I just want to help you understand the reality of what is going on truly in the world around us from the word of God. It's a reality we need to know about and be aware of and not have our head in the sands over. I know so many Christians, you know, I'll put my head in the sand on this one. It's just too awkward, too uncomfortable. Yeah, this is, this is, God gave us this on purpose because he loves us. Because he loves us. And it's not all fun and games out in the world. Remember when you were a kid and your parents would take you before you went outside, and this is even before you went to play in the front yard, you know, and they'd be like, hey, hey, like, when you go outside, like, just be very careful. Don't talk to strangers, right? And, and don't take candy from anyone unless it's Halloween. And if someone drives by with a puppy and wants you to pet the puppy in their car, don't do it. Why do they tell you all these things? To scare you? Because they love you. And they want you to be aware. They want to protect you. This is the same reason Jesus allows us to understand the whole unseen spiritual realm. Because he wants us to be aware and to protect us because he loves us. And we need to know as believers that there is an enemy out there that is alive and dangerous that actually wants to do us and our church harm. This is what the whole text is dealing with is the spiritual realm, the enemy. Here's the first thing I want you to write in your notes this morning as you take notes. I trust I'm going to give you a lot of verses today, so I want you to look these up and take them with you home and and study them and understand fully for yourself the full reality of what I'm going to be talking about today. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. The satanic realm is for real. The satanic realm is for real. Again, not to freak you out, but to make you aware that we can combat this with Energy and God's power and victory. Here we go. So this is after the whole calm the sea sort of stuff. The disciples are probably on a high. As you can imagine, you just were in a boat and there was a storm raging and all of a sudden Jesus said enough and it was enough. The disciples were like, wow, we've just seen Jesus calm a storm. This is fantastic. We've seen it all now. And Jesus probably like, not yet, fellas. So get this, they were going across the sea. They came back to almost where they started uh, for this encounter. Jesus gets out of the boat, and this is again by Capernaum. And as soon as he stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him in a tomb, a man with an unclean spirit. Like, what's going on? Is this a dirty man? Is it an unclean spirit? I mean, he's got a little grimy, little dirty. Probably was dirty, for sure, on the outside, but more inside in an unclean spirit. New Testament, unclean spirit, uh, Satan, demon, demon possession, it's all lamped in together. This is, this is clearly evident that there is uh, demons in, infiltrated this man and had taken him over like a, like a puppet on a string. They were controlling everything he did. And, and demons are those who oppose God and, and will do anything to control people and circumstances and things that would oppose God and his son. So this guy was overcome by their power. Clearly we see this by the fact that he was not an ordinary guy. He lived among the tombs and don't think little graveyard, like he was tiptoeing through the graveyard, like tombs sort of like this. He lived in and out of the tombs and inside of cliffs and in caves. And if you can imagine, he's a societal outcast because someone lived in the tombs and came out naked, as we learned from the text, shouting and screaming and cutting himself. He'd probably be a societal outcast too. Probably didn't make many friends. And so he's a social outcast and he's, screaming night and day, freaking everyone else. Sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? And yet it's true. So strong he was that when even they tried to shackle him, they're like, how do we stop this guy? Get the sheriff, get his posse, like put some chains on him. They tried to put him part of the chain gang. He busted them off. No one had the strength to subdue him. Subdue him is like to tame a wild animal. 
So here's this guy screaming and yelling at the top of his lungs and cutting himself with stones. And this is the guy that immediately runs and comes right into the face of Jesus. Already you're like, well, what in the world is going on here? Like, we, we, we don't experience this kind of thing in Canada, right? Do we? Never encountered this. I haven't experienced this. First, first reaction is, is this for real? What part of God's word is not for real? Oh, yeah, all of it. This is the reality of what is going on in the unseen world. I just want to give you a quick understanding of Satan. Again, we don't talk about Satan much in church. We kind of skip that topic, and yet, as alive as Jesus is, give, you, give yourself a pinch. Give yourself a pinch. Come on, pinch yourself. That hurt? Yeah, that, that was real, right? Satan is just as real. Scriptures tell us that God's archenemy, Satan, is one of God's created angels. It tells us in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15. Yeah, Old Testament as well. We think satanic stuff is New Testament. Old Testament, remember right back to the beginning, Genesis 3, we see the enemy, right? Satan, deceiving. Isaiah 14 tells us one of God's created angels, and he was determined in his heart that he was going to be above God, and so he was going to pride and arrogance. He was going to usurp God and be king of the world, and so God kicked him and a third of the angels out to be ultimately uh, below the earth in the pit of hell along with, with, along with all his buddies. And so Satan's goal, this started an eternal battle, this, this eternal reality is that Satan wants to take down God and, and trying to usurp God and he's trying to do it one soul at a time. You see in the text that it's not a joke, it's for real. And just like this Demon-possessed man comes in Jesus' face. The enemy comes after you and I. He comes after us. He's in your face. He does what it, whatever he can to get in our grill and knock us off course. He's, the enemy's not this little cartoon character with a, you know, little pointy ears and a tail and a pitchfork that we're like, oh, so cute. Let's stuff him and put him on a shelf somewhere so our kids can play with him. The enemy's not like Gazoo of the Flintstones. Remember Flintstones? Anyone remember Flintstones with me? Couple of you guys. Remember Gazoo, the little guy here that was sort of like back and forth, the, the bad alter ego, the cute little Martian sort of guy? That's not the enemy. The enemy is, is much different than that. He's strong and he's terrifying and he has power. Not to be messed with, he's got more power than any human being. You put a couple ropes around me and I'm done. And uh, before you laugh, you too, put a couple ropes around you and you're done. This is the guy chains and snapped him like this is the picture of the enemy he's powerful and he's unrelenting notice this night and day day and night night and day the enemy doesn't quit this is a picture of what the enemy is in our world today he is he is real he is powerful and he is unrelenting he doesn't sleep doesn't quit and his whole goal is to do whatever the opposite of god is from scripture let me give you some scripture references to show you what the enemy is doing today in the world we see evidences of this, even though we probably want to pass it off as like, oh, that's just a coincidence, or that was a bad day, or down on my luck today. That's what the enemy wants. In fact, many people would say today, like, oh, this is all like from the past, it's like Greek mythology stuff, and that's the enemy. The enemy wants you to think that. That's his greatest grip on us today, is we don't think the enemy's real, and so we just go on our daily way, our merry way. Well, he, he does whatever he wants, and he gets into our lives, and he gets into our families, and he gets into our churches, and we're just like, oh, no, he's not real. I have friends who grew up on the mission field overseas, and they're not duped. They've had manifest, manifestations and experiences with the enemy that I've never had, and I ask myself, why overseas and not here? I think the enemy's already got us here. 
He's got us. They're sleeping. They think I'm cuddly. I can do whatever I want. They'll never even know. Yet he's alive and as alive and active here as he is around the world. Here's what the enemy's doing in the world. He's oppressing, he's oppressing the earth. 1 John 5.19 says this, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so the enemy is opposing anything good. He's oppressing the world. Anything good that happens, the enemy wants to push it back and make it bad. And the enemy is, is the prince, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's the prince of this earth. God wants good, Satan wants bad. The enemy's like the boss. When the, bo- the, the, the second in command, when the boss goes away, and the second man's like, well, I'm the boss now. You know, you know he's not the boss, but he walks around like the boss. Oh, yeah, the boss, well, I'm the boss. You gotta obey me, you gotta do my thing. I'm making the rules now. And you're like, nah, 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 nah. That's what the enemy is. He's, he's oppressing and opposing all the good of the world. He's opposing God, it says, in, in, again, in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He's destroying the works of God, mainly through blinding eyes to the light of the gospel. He's keeping people in bondage and preventing them from coming to know God. That's Galatians 4.8. In other words, when God has plans and purposes, when he sets his foot out the door to accomplish his plans and purposes, the enemy is right there on his doorstep trying to thwart the plans and purposes of God in everything, but especially in our lives. How does he do that? Wayne Grudem tells us how he does that. He does it through this, through temptation, through doubt, through guilt, through fear. Ever experienced some of these things? That's just me. I'm such a... The enemy does, opposes God through temptation, through doubt, through guilt, through fear, through confusion, through sickness, through envy, through pride, through slander. Church disunity of any means possible. He comes in and he tells us in our day and age that all these empty philosophies and false religions and wrong views of God and his, his goal is to, to conceal the truth of God and his will. In other words, he comes in and he takes a, you know, uh, takes a bag and he puts it over people's heads and he's got blinded their eyes now, he's covered their ears and he's gonna try and drag people away. He orchestrates sin. Presses the world, he opposes God, he orchestrates sin. We see this in Genesis 3, sin came to the world through Who? Of course, Adam and Eve, their sinfulness, but it's also through the enemy, through the, in the form of a snake. 1 John 3, 8 says this, that Satan has sinned from the beginning. And he tempts souls in 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3. His goal is to capture our minds, to be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Does this with you. He does this with, did it with Jesus. Remember, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. This is the enemy. He's, he's orchestrating sin in the world. You turn on the news, you're like, Where is, how do all these things happen? Where does this come from? Of course, it comes from our sinfulness, but it comes from our sinfulness comes from the enemy. Skewed morality and hate and murder and messed up sexuality, it comes from Satan. He's a scam salesman that promises the world and delivers nothing, and he promotes everything that's opposite to God to drag us into our trap. He comes as an angel of light. In other words, he comes, and, and for us in our natural sense, we're like, oh, that seems so good, it's logical, it seems so appealing. If the enemy came in a little terrifying reality of who he really is, we'd be running for the hills, but he comes as an angel of light. His ultimate goal is to obliterate lives. This is what he's doing in the world. He's all these four things. He's obliterating lives. He is the predator that's trying to lure you into the car with the puppy. They could drive off into oblivion and you'll never see any life again. How does he do that? He's a deceiver. John chapter 
8, verse 44, he loves to lie. You know those people that are just such good liars? Like, ah, you're so good at this. I can't even tell if you're telling the truth. Like, you're an amazing liar. Satan is the best liar ever. He's the father of lies. In other words, he talks. He looks so sweet. He's got a, he sounds compelling. And you're like, it's, uh, how could this guy be lying? But he's a liar. He's constantly lying to you and I. You deserve more. Who do they think they are to tell you what to do? They deserve you to gossip or slander in their back. You should tell them off. Don't put up with that. Just satisfy your own desires. You ever heard those lies? Drink this. Snort that. Fight back. Don't let go of bitterness. Hold on. Mock God. It's the enemy. Now it's becoming real. We're like, oh, wow. I can just, it's the enemy. That's why he doesn't want you to be aware of him because he gets his way in our lives and he, he gets controlled that way. He deceives us. And in fact, he doesn't just want to deceive us. He wants to destroy our lives. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your desire for God and good things. He also wants to destroy, your, destroy you forever. Anything good in your life, Satan wants to destroy that. Your purity of heart, he wants to destroy. Your good relationships, he wants to rip them apart. Your marriage, your kids, anything good, Satan wants to take it down. Ultimately, he wants to come to deliver death. 1 Peter 5 8, he prowls around look, like a lion looking for someone to devour. His goal is to ruin everything good in your life and ultimately take you down. If God highlights life, Satan stands for death. And that's exactly what's happening in this text. He is coming, and this guy with the demon possession is just a manifestation of the reality of what Satan wants to do to every single one of us. And our church, and the people of God around the world, and the world itself. Welcome to church this morning. But it's real. Probably got the point already. We don't tiptoe around things in our church. Straight through text, word, word for word. We need to know this stuff. We need to be aware of the enemy. Not to be afraid of the enemy, to be aware of the enemy because the enemy is, is constantly, you see evidence of the enemy all over the place. As long as we're do-do-do-do-do-do, life is grand. Like sending your kid to kindergarten to school, like walk to school by yourself. Yeah, everything's good out there. That'd be ridiculous. God wants us to be aware. But not to be aware in a way that we are going to go hide in a corner, but to be aware knowing that what the enemy is doing, but ultimately to be aware of this. The second part of John 10, 10 says this, the enemy might come to kill and steal and destroy, but Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. The reality is this, Jesus points out for us the spiritual reality is because Jesus came to rescue us from the grip of the enemy. The Bible teaches that every one of us are under control of the enemy until we come to Jesus, and Jesus came to set us free. The gospel, the good news is, is that every one of us was, were, were controlled by Satan in his camp, in his tent, and that Jesus came to say enough of this. He's like a Navy SEAL that comes in and storms the place and rips us out of there and takes us to freedom. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus came to rescue us from all the bondage and any bondage the enemy has upon our lives. Thank you, Jesus Christ. 
for you Christians who are like, I don't know, I don't know if I can do it. You can't do it, but Jesus can. And Jesus will and he does. This is the second part of this. Point number two is this. Jesus rules in absolute dominion over spiritual forces. Jesus rules in absolute dominion over spiritual forces. Just like this man here was incapacitated to the enemy, so are we apart from Jesus Christ. And yet this, God saw our weakness for sin. He understands our brokenness, and he knows how easy of a target we are for the enemy. So he came to rescue us in absolute dominion and power over the spiritual forces that once, as believers, that once bound us. Verse 7. Here's the power of Jesus. Don't get caught up in the power of Satan. He is real. He is alive. He's active. Here's the power of Jesus that we're going to focus on for the rest of this sermon. And crying out with a loud voice, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Don't you find this a little bit odd, don't you? Notice this, that the enemy didn't have to be introduced to Jesus. Steps out of the boat, and there's no like name tag, Jesus Christ. It's like, hey, how you doing? My name's Jesus. He sees him, and instead of running away, he runs to him, he bows at his feet, and, and just showing the power of Jesus over, the, over the, even the, the, the spiritual forces. It'd be like a, a two-year-old showing up for the heavyweight competition, the heavyweight boxing match, Satan versus Jesus. This is the power of Jesus. It's like a, a four-year-old signing up for the, the Olympic wrestling heavyweight, heavyweight division. Ridiculous. This demon knows already he's outmatched. He comes, he just falls at the feet of Jesus. And he calls out to him by name. How, how does he know the name of Jesus? Because even it says the demons know the name of Jesus in James chapter 2. That's how powerful Jesus is. Even the demons know. Be like if Trudeau walked in here or Trump walked in here, we wouldn't need an introduction because they're so famous, so powerful. Well, for Jesus, the whole universe knows his name. Look what he says. What have you to do with me, Jesus? In other words, like, leave me alone, Jesus. Like, big bully, get out of here. Son of the Most High God. Already before anyone even tells him who he was, who Jesus was, he knows he's Son of the Most High God. In the Old Testament, this is just clear, a clear evidence of the superiority of the one true God. He's, he's saying, oh, sovereign God, oh, powerful God, what do you want with me? Ultimately, he bows, and it's not a bow as in reverence and awe. This fall at the feet wasn't like a, oh, I worship you, Jesus. I want to, it was a bow as in like, like, I'm standing before the judge. I know my ultimate destination. I'm going to be put away forever. Is this the time, Jesus? Is this time you're going to crush me and the legions of my buddies? Is this the time it's all over for good? So he's not bowing out of submission. He's bowing out of a reverence like the, the one who stands before a judge and they got blood on their hands and the murder weapon in their car and the evidence is all pointing against them and they're like they know they're done they know the gig's up they know it's over this is, this is the demons in this man look at the conversation that ensues I adjure you by God do not torment me notice the demons want to torment but they're being tormented by God just the awareness of God and his power the awareness of their ultimate destination in Revelations 20.10 where they're going to be kicked in the lake of fire they're like don't torment me don't send me to eternal torment because he was just saying this come out of the man you unclean spirit probably not as gentle as that exclamation mark means come out of the man you unclean spirit it's probably what Jesus was saying Jesus asked him this what's your name he replied my name is Legion for we are many Legion is a, a army term for 6,000, a platoon of 6,000. There's thousands of demons in this man. 
Look at verse 10. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Like, hey, we have work to do here. We want to take this country for the enemy. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there, so he begged him, saying, hey, send us to the pigs. Why would the demons want to be sent to the pigs? You just probably why. Send us to the pigs. We'll mess with them for a little while, get you out of our hair, then we'll come back and do what we set out to do and take this whole country for the enemy. Notice the demons had to ask Jesus for permission to do anything. Notice that? Why didn't they just jump in the pigs? They didn't have the authority to do that. They had to ask Jesus for that. Jesus was like, okay, go, 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 go after it. They jump in these pigs. They scream over the side of the cliff. And the same sea, get this, the same sea that Jesus just calmed in the last text swallowed up the pigs. What a powerful God. I know some of you are like, well, Jesus killed the pigs. Jesus killed the pigs. Jesus didn't kill the pigs. Who killed the pigs? The demons killed the pigs. So before you, let's get off that, all right? Plus, we all like to kill pigs and eat the bacon. <laughs> notice this, though. Notice this, though. Like, pigs were expensive back then. There's a, there's a herd. This is someone's livelihood. They're out of a lot of money. That's probably why the herdsman ran away to tell everybody. Like, my pigs are gone. Notice this. Notice this. One soul meant more to Jesus than 2,000 pigs. This one soul that was captive, that we would have thrown out to sea, get rid of him, don't come near us, don't come in our church, don't come near my house, I'm afraid. Look at this, Jesus' compassion. This one soul is worth more than 2,000 pigs. Notice this, this is pointed out to me after first service by somebody in the audience, it's a good, good tidbit. Jesus also went over the, remember he's leaving, he calmed the sea, then he came back just for this one chance encounter for this one guy. The heart of Jesus. And what a display of power. Notice there's no scratch marks on his face. There's no like battle that ensued with like place, things getting ripped apart. It's, it's with what? How did Jesus defeat the enemy? Same way he defeated, same way he created, right? In, in Genesis 1. How did he create with a word. word? Then how did he calm the storm with a word? How did he silence the enemy and cast out these demons with a Getting the connection? Just a word of the power of the Son of God, and the enemies are obliterated. Awesome. And this is the same power God has for the enemy in our lives as well. What's this mean for me? Another question. What's this mean for me? I know you guys are like, oh, am I demon possessed? Sometimes it feels like I'm demon possessed. I know my kids are probably demon-possessed because they cry all night long, and that can't be of God. Can I find myself in this place? Like, a little bit of tension here, right? Like, well, what does this mean for us? How does, how, does, how does the enemy work in our lives? Let me clarify for you so you don't run out of here with all these crazy wild ideas that some people get because they're not taught well on this topic. The reality is, as blood-bought followers of Jesus Christ, if you're saved today, the enemy can oppress you, but the enemy can never possess you. Do you hear that? No, I thought we'd get way more amens for that one. The enemy's real. We know him. We feel him. We sense him sometimes. But sometimes we get scared. Like, man, it's all the enemy's got too much power. He's got too much power. I can't. I can't. Ever says Christian, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Here's the reality: you can, because the enemy can oppress you, but he can never possess you. Amen. Let me say it this way: the enemy can get a solid grip on you, but Satan can never choke you out. He can get a solid grip on you. In other words, he can, he can get little strongholds in your life. When I was a kid, my mom 
She's a little, I'm small, but she's a little smaller than I am. She, she'd get me to do whatever she wanted. You know how she'd do it? She'd come up behind me and grab me by my ear, and she'd twist that sucker right around. Time to do dishes. Uh-uh. Okay, okay. Now we're going this way, son. Okay. And it would feel like she had total, compl- yeah, pull my ear off. That's why I got cauliflowers for my mother. It would feel like she had total power over me, but she didn't. But she had such a stronghold that it totally felt like I was incapacitated. Let's be honest, even at 15, I probably could have taken her out if I did a quick leg swip and a whoosh. But I loved her too much, so I didn't. But that's the way the enemy works in us. He grabs a hold of certain areas of our lives and he carts us around and makes us think that he has complete power over us. He gets a hold of these areas and, and we say, well, we're incapacitated, but we're not. He can oppress us. In other words, he can get a grip on certain things, some besetting sins, maybe sometimes we can't get a hold of. You know, lust and anger and addiction and laziness and complacency and arrogance and jealousy. He can grab us but he can't actually ruin us. And more on the application of this after. It's common. Even some of us in this room, we can kind of battle with self-esteem sometimes and confidence. We know God loves us. We feel down here. We know God loves us immensely, but we, we can't get past. Oh, the enemy just has me, and I can't get past it. The, that sin that I just, I've been trying for years, I guess it's just what it is, and I'm just going to give up fighting. And maybe it's even discouragement and Anxiety, we just get so wound up about things and so discouraged with things and I guess the enemy wins. He can get a grip on you, but he can't choke you out. In other words, an enemy will never win in those different areas. He might seem like he's winning. He might win the battles, but he will never win the war. That's what Christ came to do. He came to win the war. When he died on the cross for us, he conquered sin and he conquered shame. When we turned to him through faith and repentance, guess what? The battle is done. The sin war is won and it is finished. When we ask Christ into our heart, get this. The reality is the Holy Spirit moves in, Ephesians chapter 1. And when he moves into our lives, this is why the enemy can't possess us. When the Holy Spirit moves into our lives, he moves in. He locks down all the windows. He locks down all the doors. He puts up security cameras. And he's making sure that nobody comes in or out of that place. He's there. It's his. It's solid. It's for sure. It's forever. I can't can't fight this battle. You don't have to fight the battle. Satan moved in. He's taken up residence. You're saved, you're his forever. 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God if you're saved today. And you've overcome them. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Think about that. I'm like you, I get overwhelmed. Oh, the battle's real. My goodness, the battle's real. There's some days you're like, I can't, I can't do it anymore, God. Like, I can't fight this battle. It's a good, good verse to be reminded of. You don't have to fight the battle. See this? You are from God and have overcome them, the evil one, for he who is in you and I is greater than he who is in the world. There's a verse to quote 50 times a day when you're going through the battle, when you're struggling with that sin, when you're overwhelmed with whatever is going on in your life. The greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Let me caveat this for a minute because 
This is a truth for believers. Hard truth, let me say this gently to you today, but if you don't know Jesus Christ today, the hard truth is this. That you are under the influence of the enemy and he has you completely duped in your life. And he's already winning the battle. And he's won the battle until you turn over to Jesus Christ. In other words, he's got that hood over your head. You're blinded. and I don't believe in Jesus. I can't see Jesus. I don't understand. It's because Satan's blinded your eyes and he's plugged your ears and he's got you in the chokehold just ready to put that last squeeze on. And the reason why the battle's so hard is because you cannot win it on your own. Everybody battles. You'll never win that battle on your own. Here's the good news today. The good news is this. If you don't know yet know Jesus Christ, it's a simple SOS to Jesus, 901 to Jesus. Jesus, I am under the influence of the enemy. I can't see you. I can't understand you. I feel like I'm losing the battle. Here's the reality. You can call it to Jesus, and he can free you from bondage even today. But until you do that, you're going to be under the influence of the enemy until the day you die, and that means eternal torment forever. Not to scare you, but to tell you the truth. Because we love you. And you need to know the truth. Flip side of that today is if you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you can know this, that you might feel like he's dragging you towards his tent, like he has you in the grip and he's taking you to his own camp, but you can be sure of this, you will never ever get to the camp of Satan because God will see that and he loves you and he'll come and he'll rescue you from the grip of Satan. Feeling like you're dying inside today with no way out. Feeling like sin is winning and the life of Christ is losing in your life today. The lies loud and the word of God faint. Can you barely get a prayer out? Here's the reality. There is hope today. And hope is spelled biblically different than hope is spelled in the world. Hope is spelled biblically J-E-S-U-S. It's the same thing. It's a simple call out to God. God, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I'm needy. I'm in bondage. You know if you're in bondage today. Well, you'd never admit that, but you know if there's a besetting sin. You know there's something that's, that's got you so gripped. It's keeping you from Jesus and from truly loving Jesus and worshiping Christ and, and being obedient and sharing Christ with your friends. You're locked into If you know that today, simple answer, simple answer. Call out to Jesus for rescue. Stop being so proud. Stop being so arrogant and saying you do on your own. You can't call out to Jesus for rescue. God promised it's not an easy life. It's not supposed to be Miami Beach. It's the beaches of Normandy, Ephesians chapter 6. We're in a spiritual battle that can be won by Christ. It can be won by Christ. Here's the hope. Whatever you're going through today can be won by Christ. The day might be evil, Times might be hard, but with Christ, we can anchor down and not give an inch to the enemy. Because in the end, we know this, Jesus wins. You read the end of the story? Jesus wins. Because Jesus wins, guess what? If we're on his side, we win too. You guys are so passive this morning. I get fired up with this stuff because sometimes I feel like the enemy's winning. I guess I'm the only one in second service, you know what I mean? Am I the only one in second service? Say something, move or something. There you go. In those days where you feel like you're losing, you got to know this. Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won. And he doesn't say to us, try harder, strive more, sweat it out. You're not trying hard enough. You stink. Be more spiritual. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. Here's three things he says to application. 
Simply do this. Trust in the name of Jesus. Trust in the name of Jesus. The enemy bows to Jesus. The enemy flees to the Jesus name, the name of Jesus. I love this song that we sometimes say, uh, sing, uh, break every chain. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. How many chains? Every single chain. When Jesus enters, the enemy runs. When I was a kid playing out in the schoolyard uh, one Saturday with a bunch of kids, and um, like always seemed to happen when I was a kid, they ended up being in a fight, playing baseball, ended up being in a fight because we're all so competitive and we all wanted to win. One of these days, it really got into a fight, and uh, my buddy Mike was getting beat up, so like a good, strong friend, instead of jumping in the fight, I ran to get my dad. <laughs> back in a minute, buddy! Got back, and there was like a whole crew now surrounding him, and he was getting beat up pretty good. My dad got out of the car. You should have seen all those little bullies run, like little, little rats scurrying off into the sewers. Gone. That's the name of Jesus. Enemy flees at the name of Jesus. It's not walking around with all kinds of incantations and like, if I say Jesus 50 times today, the enemy's gonna flee, or if I say all the right things, or say this prayer 10 times today, no, it's, it's simply this, it's getting Jesus on the throne of your heart, turning to Jesus in faith and saying, Jesus, you are my king, you are my God, I'm gonna trust you to fight the battles, I'm gonna put my faith in Jesus Christ. Forget all those goofy Facebook, like if you do this seven times, no, not. I surrender Jesus. I want you to be Lord, and Jesus will be Lord of your life, and he'll protect you in the battle. Trust in the name of Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Trust in his name. How about this one? Rest in Jesus' care. Rest in his care. 1 John 5, 20. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. 1 John 5, 18 to 20, write that one down. God protects him, the evil one cannot touch those that are in Christ. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one, it says twice this, and no one will be able to snatch them out of, the fa- out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The enemy can pull and he can prod and he can do whatever he wants, but ultimately God is going to hold on to you. You don't have to hold on to God tightly. He holds on to you and he will never, ever let you go. Psalm 91, the battle rages on, yet this, yet this, we are like, like the eagle. We are like a young eagle under the wing of a, a father eagle. Like, like that is the most safe place to be. This is God and his children. Does that mean that God's going to solve all your problems today when you say a prayer and you put God back on the throne? Probably not. Maybe so. Maybe not, but it's this. God will shelter you until the day, from the day you accept him to the day you meet him. You are God's and he is yours. Rest in Jesus' care. Whatever's going on in your life right now, enemy seems to be winning, he will never win that war. Might win the battle, he'll never win the war because God is on your side. How about this one? Live in Jesus' power. Live in Jesus' power. Ultimately, Satan can only do what God allows. We see this here in this text. He had to have permission. We see in Job chapter 1. Satan had to ask permission for God to have access to anyone in this realm. Jude chapter 6, Satan is kept in chains. 
James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us he can be resisted when we submit ourselves first to God. We can resist the devil and he will flee from us. Luke chapter 9, verse 1, you've been given power and authority over all demons in Jesus Christ. Here's the bottom line of this. We can live in victory today. We don't have to wait till the day we die to live in victory. We can live in victory today as we take God at his word. The word's so key to this, right? The word's so key to this. You ignore the word of God. You're not going to have power of victory. The power of victory is in the word of God. Amen? In the promises of God, this is where it's at. You get in the word of God, just like Jesus did in his temptation. You pray your heart out and get people around you praying for you. You're living in bondage today. Don't keep going on in bondage. Get the word going. Get the prayer going. Get people around you to encourage you and exhort you and keep you accountable. And let's get going for freedom, brothers and sisters. Freedom's to be had. Victory's already won. It's just ours to be had in Jesus Christ. Now, a glimpse, ultimately forever in heaven. And the greatest day in history is going to be this, the day that, as Romans 16, 20 says, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath whose feet? Underneath your feet, it says. God's going to crush the enemy underneath our feet. We're going to be victorious one day. So we can operate now from a place of victory, not a place of defeat. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's a battle but we win. But Jesus already won. Let's live it each and every day because of the last part of this text says, Christ's power sets me free. Verses 14 to 20 is just simply the uh, commentary on what happened to this demon-possessed man. And these herdsmen go off and, and Run and tell everybody about this whole thing. They come and they find this man who was once this crazy man, naked and screaming and cutting himself day and night. They find this man instead clothed in all of his sanity, sitting there at the feet of Jesus. They get so scared. They're like, Jesus, get out of here. And this guy who's, def- def- who's just been, def- Satan's been defeated in him. He's like, no, Jesus, don't come out of here. Take me with you, Jesus. Like, let, 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 let's go. Like, this man was totally transformed by the power of Jesus. Jesus says, don't come with me. Go tell everybody else you know what I have done for you and I've had mercy upon you. This is what Jesus does in the New Testament. This is prophesied about Jesus in the Old Testament. He's gonna come and set captives free. This is what Jesus still does today. Jesus sets captives free. We don't just come to church on Sundays. And have a nice little worship service, a nice little pat on the back and go home. We come so that we can see ourselves set free from the, the little areas of bondage Satan always tries to put us under. We come so we can set, see people set free from bondage of, of eternal destiny away from God. We come so we can see Jesus do today what he did throughout all of history. And we can't stop believing that this is the same Jesus we serve today. A few years ago, I got to go to Nicaragua on a mission trip. And uh, out to the island of... Uh, uh, Ometepe Island in, in Nicaragua and uh, it's a volcano not an active volcano so we're running up and down this non-active volcano telling people about Christ the best way we could of the translator invite them to church and on the way down the, from the volcano at the end of the, uh, the Saturday night before church Sunday we're giving all kinds of invites we come down to the town there's this, there's this man sitting on the street corner and he is like screaming his head off and he's acting a little bit crazy and uh, you know it's one of those things where you're like should I go over should I not go over should I go over I don't want to stir the you know one of those things you're going to beat me up is he? and so we're like well who is this guy and he's, they're like oh he's He's pappy, he's the town drunk, you know, just forget about him. And I was just like, well, 
Part of me was like, we can't forget about them. But part of me was like, but I don't want to get beat up on Saturday night, you know? So we decided to keep going because he clearly wasn't the frame of mind to have a conversation with at that moment. And we prayed for him. Sunday morning shows up and the first person in church an hour before was guess who? Not quite as drunk as the night before, but still quite drunk. And he brought his friend who was high as a kite on something. And he was all over the map, and he was actually a little scarier than Pappy. And so they sat in the front row, and they're kind of talking throughout the setup. And as soon as worship started, they're like, they're engaged, but I'm not sure if it was a good kind of engaged or a bad kind of engaged. So I'm sitting in the back row going, God, protect the preacher. And if he gets attacked, send someone who's bigger than me to, you know, jump in there. So we just prayed, and the service went off without a hitch. We're like, thank you, Lord. That's amazing. You kept those guys from, like, disrupting all the gospel going out. And so we, they went their way. We packed. We talked a little bit. We went their way. We came home. And now the next trip that went, I came back with an amazing story. They met this guy in church, an older gentleman that apparently was at the first service ever, and they're telling me about him. I'm like, oh, I don't remember that guy. Older guy, you know, clean shaven, dressed decently nice. I'm like, nope, don't know that guy. And they're like, his name was Pappy. <laughs> what? There's got to be more than one Pappy in Nicaragua, right? So did a little research, and as the story goes, this guy, Pappy, went to the first service that first Sunday that church launched. Three or four weeks later, as the pastor's preaching, he got overcome by his sin and overcome by the reality of the Holy Spirit and the love of God for him. He confessed his love for Jesus Christ. And within that year, he was dramatically changed by the glory, for the glory of God. Awesome. And God's still doing that, not just in Nicaragua, but he's doing that here. Our church, you have to understand, our church, if you visit this, our church is full of former POWs. We're former prisoner of wars who the enemy had in his camp, and yet Jesus Christ came and he grabbed us out and he saved us. And that's why we get so hyped up to worship, because Christ saved us and we're now set free. That's why we get so excited about the word of God, because the word of God is so paramount, paramount in our lives. That's why we love praying in our church, because the power of prayer is what actually sets people free from the power of Satan. And that's why we worship our guts out because, man, this is, this is why we do church together and see more of this happening. We want to be like this pastor. You know, don't, don't come with me. Go tell others. We want to go tell others. And I just want you to know that if you're visiting with us today, we are a church that is not the perfect church. We're so messed up. We are former POWs who've been rescued. Let me tell you what some of the rescues that God has done in, in our church and even in my life here. We are we are. We are People who, are, who were once filled with sin and self and shame that God has now set free. We have people who used to struggle with cocaine addiction and adultery and lust and lying and this religious self-righteousness. We've had people that have been released from gossip and slander. and We are the sexually immoral who have been released. We've been released by Jesus Christ, by the good news of the gospel, who continues to set people free. This is our story. We are the demon-possessed man. Maybe we haven't been possessed by a demon, but we are this guy. Jesus is the same. Jesus stars, Jesus stars is Jesus. And Jesus today wants us to be set free yet again if the enemy has gotten a foothold in your life. If you're not saved today, he wants to do this. He wants to come and he wants to like... Whoosh, Whip that mask off your face so you can truly see the reality of who the Son of God is. If you're walking in Jesus today and you've just realized that, man, slowly but surely, slowly but surely, the enemy's gotten a little more of a grasp, a little more of a grasp, a little more of a grasp, and you don't love God as much as you used to, and man, that sin seems a lot bigger than it used to last year, and you just don't know freedom anymore. You don't know the freedom of the Christian life, and maybe you just discourage the circumstances of life and they've gotten you so beat down, so beat down, you just can't believe that God loves you, He created you, and He loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. 
If you know today that you're in bondage in some way to the enemy, there's not no one in this room. Probably most in some ways. But this is your come to Jesus moment. This is your like Jesus wants to set you free yet again today by the power of his blood that you might know the fullness of God and the full joy and reality of walking with Jesus in the way he designed you to walk. Let me pray. Father, thank you for that verse. In John chapter 8, verse 36, it says this, so if the Son set you free, you'll be free indeed. Thank you, Lord, for setting us free from the power of the enemy. God, I know that I am a saved, blood-bought child of God, not because of my own merit, not because I am some spiritual guru, but because of Jesus Christ rescued me and saw me precious enough to redeem me from the enemy's grip. We are all that person, Lord. God, where the bondage remains, would you come and break that right now in every single heart in this place? Forgive us, O Lord, for our pride. Forgive us for our self-righteousness. We think this message of the gospel is for somebody else and not for me. Forgive us for our anger, our impatience, the lust that maybe someone in here is dealing with that they thought they could never get past. Maybe it's a jealous spirit that someone's in here right now. They have such a jealous spirit. They're just giving themselves to it, thinking this is the way life is. It's not. You died for something better for us, Jesus. Maybe it's an anger, a bitterness, a bitterness that we've been holding on to and holding on to that Satan's got us in it. Rip it down now, O oh Lord. And help us to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ. For those here today, God, that have never ever turn their lives to Jesus. Oh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. It can only be your Holy Spirit. Cause them to send that SOS, the 911. I need Jesus. I can't fix my life. I know it's going nowhere. I want fullness. I want Christ. Today, oh God, we give you all that we are the best way we know how and say, God, have all of us and may you work fully and completely in us today. Put the enemy aside now, God. Shut his mouth where the hearts are pounding. Let people come to Jesus. Amen.